Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Responsive Design Weekly. My name is Justin Avery and I'm your host and curator of the Responsive Design Weekly podcast, a podcast all about, you know, responsive design and stuff. Uh, so this is the first time I've been back here for quite a while. I think I'm just looking at my uh, the last time I, I posted on the podcast channel, and it's like November 12th. So it has been well over two months uh, since I've had this going. So I apologize for my long, long break. I was sort of relaxing over December, had a bit of Christmas, a little bit of New Year's, some family time. Um, if you haven't picked up, I am Australian from the accent, uh, and I'm living over in the UK, which is, uh, if you think this is a harsh Australian accent, you should have heard me eight years ago before I had the, uh, the United Kingdom's lovely British accent kind of smooth off a lot of the rough edges. But, uh, because I live so far away from where I came from, a lot of my family's still back over there. Uh, and so my mother came out. Thanks, Mum. Thanks for coming out and seeing us. Uh, so she came out for the the Christmas holidays, which was wonderful, and we uh, we all had a lovely time. But we're back now. Um, I'm not going to put a, a time frame uh, or a frequency. Uh, what is that called? Sometimes it's called a cadence. I was using this marketing software a few months ago, and cadence was the term they used for the frequency that you were going to push something out it was really weird um, but i'm not going to uh, put down a a frequency i am going to try to have this once a week uh, and every other week i will try and get a guest on which will be really cool so you don't have to hear me talk all the time but i'm not going to be uh, stressed about sort of trying to keep that and i think that's the key thing is not being stressed about trying to keep a, uh, a frequency going um, because then you sort of build it all up. But anyway, the format won't change too much. I'm still going to be talking about uh, responsive design and basically things on the web. Um, I did an interview series over Christmas. If you uh, uh, subscribed to the Responsive Design Weekly uh, email, you will have known that over the last six weeks, we've had a series of... Uh, uh, I suppose really popular people uh, in the industry come and answer the same four questions. So in 2013, I ran a similar thing. I was uh, moving from Australia back to the UK again. I like to bounce back and forth every couple of years. It's it's uh, it's great. It costs a fortune, a lot of money, and uh, it's really hard to get started again. But uh, it's fun. It's fun to, uh, to to bounce back and forth. But uh, during the move, uh, myself and uh, my uh, fiance at the time, we wanted to have a bit of a, a travel and, and she didn't want me every Thursday night to be uh, sitting here doing podcasts and, and writing newsletters. So I set up this uh, idea of having this um, interview series whereby I got some really clever people to ask the same four questions. Uh, I ended up putting them all into uh, this ebook, um, which is which is really cool. And, and what I thought is that because uh, I had this Christmas coming up and I had some family coming over that I'd do the same thing. I'd spend a bit more time with the family and get all this queued up. So I went and re-interviewed uh, a bunch of the same people again, everyone that was available and not doing what I was doing and sort of taking the, the holidays off. And they all came back with answers and it was really interesting. It was the same four questions asked again to the same bunch of people. And it was really interesting to see how their thoughts and, and their approach had changed or not changed 
over the last three years when it comes to sort of responsive design stuff. Um, a lot of it was kind of, uh, it was really focused around performance. Um, everyone was keen to make performance a thing. Um, Deconstruct, the website for Deconstruct was by far the most popular in terms of uh, responsive, like everyone's favorite responsive site was this Deconstruct site. And it's one of my favorite sites as well, and it's one of the uh, the example sites that we have up on uh, responsivedesign.is. It's, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful, fun site. Like it's responsive, but it's not sort of responsive in the in the, in the in the way that we would normally consider responsive sites or a responsive um, event to be. They really sort of took it outside the box. They thought outside the box for it. But the guys at Clear Left do a wonderful job. Um, uh, Jeremy Keith is one of the uh, the founders of, of Clear Left. So anyone like him following it uh, or, or leading that kind of... Um, an agency they're gonna do wonderful things he himself wasn't actually involved in it at all he admits and uh, he actually chose uh, it as his favorite responsive design as well so not even tooting his own horn because he wasn't involved in it but um, yeah it's it's a great site um, but yeah performance was another thing everyone was very very that this is the year of performance you have to really look at how you're going to be performing over the years um, but it was just a, a really uh, a cool thing um, as part of that, I knew there was going to be a point. I always go on these tangents. Uh, as part of that, I asked everyone to come back with, apart from the questions that I was asking them, to ask a question of another guest. Now, I didn't quite get all of those questions back from them in time to ask. Uh, so basically, if Jeremy was going to ask a question um, and Brad Frost was going to ask a question, they would ask each other the question and they would have like a fifth answer instead of just the fourth. But a lot of questions came back late. So I now have this like lovely treasure trove of like 10, uh, 10 or 12 questions, which are really quite cool. Um, and I'm going to use that as the basis for the interviews for the first part of this year anyway. So there's a few people that I'm really keen to get on and I've, I've lined up last year and I wasn't able to interview them so I'm really keen to get them on and sort of ask them these sort of questions. So that's what's going to come up. That's how we're going to run. Uh, on the weeks where I uh, don't have a guest and it's just me, um, we're just going to talk through or I'm going to explain to you what has happened in the world of the web for that week uh, and what you can expect or the things that you should go and check out. Uh, and so this way, it's basically going to be a synopsis of the of the uh, responsive design newsletter, um, but with me ad libbing as we go through. So for this week, has been a, I, this is more of a uh, a longer period because I started collecting all these links uh, from December, and the interview series has only just finished. So I've got all of these kind of semi-old links, but they're still quite interesting. So I thought I'd go through a few, and like I think the biggest news that hit during that Christmas period is drum roll. Uh, Microsoft it's killed. Internet Explorer 8, 9, and 10. Not like literally killed and kicked it out, but they're not offering support for it anymore. So it, that is just super amazing. So after what seems like an eternity for IE6 and IE7 to kind of just die and get off the support list, now they're stopping updates for IE8, 
IE9 and IE10. Now that happened as of the 10th of January and they're so serious about this that if you have a company I think the number was 500. So if you have a company of 500 people or more, they would actually allocate you an account manager or someone to help you plan your rollout of IE11 or, well, IE11 it would have been, um, which is amazing. So they're kind of like, we really, really want you to get off this. Um, basically stop complaining that we don't have an evergreen browser and that we're not doing awesome stuff because like here's a resource to help you upgrade everything. Um, so that's really, really cool. I've heard the IE11, uh, uh, oh, what is it called? Like a It's kind of like a quirks mode where you can just enter IE8 mode or enter IE7 mode. I've heard that it works really well. So if you're a corporation and you've got like this ancient, um, ancient uh, finance system and it was built to only run on IE7 or something and you flip this um, like uh, bug debug mode on, um, to pretend the browser's like IE7 and it works quite well. Not necessarily gonna work for everyone, but that's really good and great thinking from Microsoft. So kudos to Microsoft. The other great thing about that is uh, if you check out, if you go to Can I Use, everyone knows Can I Use, but uh, in case you don't and you haven't heard of it, that's cool. Um, it's caniuse.com and it's basically tells you whether or not or what the support is for a particular thing on the web across the current and older browsers. Now, if we were to go to caniuse.com and look at the feature Flexbox, um, I'm seeing something pretty sweet. Uh, it's all green, like all green. So basically every browser that people use today, every modern browser supports Flexbox. Now, IE11 is a, is a funky colored green, um, which means it supports it. Uh, but it, it's kind of just flagged as partial support due to a large number of bugs present. Um, I don't know what those bugs are. Someone better will be able to, but there's actually, really coolly, there's a link on there saying uh, see known issues. So you can actually go and check out the known issues of um, of Flexbox and IE11. But th this is the great thing, right? So if you're building a site today, then when you talk to your client, you're like, hey, Microsoft doesn't support IE 8, 9, and 10 anymore, or 7 or 6. Um, we don't either. And if you would like us to build the site so that it runs perfectly in all those browsers, then, you know, I can't really use Flexbox, which is going to save me a bunch of time, so I'm going to have to charge you a little bit of extra money. That's the kind, well, that's, it, it might be a good or a bad approach to these things, but that's what you can do now. Like you kind of have that, have that ammunition. Like Microsoft produced this stuff. They're not going to support it. They're trying to get people off it. So uh, we are heading that way. Of course, you do need to look at what your client, uh, your client's user base is using. If they're all IE9 and IE10, then you can't really push Flex. Um, but what you can do is just make the client understand, look, Microsoft aren't even supporting this. For me to really support it, I have to use old ways of, of creating the site and therefore it'll take me longer than it would using these new core ways. So I'm, I think 2016 is the year of flex and, uh, and kudos to, to Microsoft for killing those off. So that's, that was kind of, that's a biggie. That's a big thing for, uh, for our industry, I think. Um, the other thing, oh, Safari, I had this argument, or not argument, I had this discussion with a friend of mine, Bart. Hello, Bart. 
about we always have these uh, disagreements native versus web and um uh, <laughs> like what's good browsing and uh i i kind of use chrome quite a bit uh on my ios device and he uses safari on, on his ios device and um we have this like competition of like well there's more features on chrome and he's like yeah but it's faster on safari i'm like oh. Um, but it's quite fun. Now, Safari 9.1, so Safari only really like updates once a year when the whole operating system updates, which is super, super frustrating. But having said that, uh, Safari 9.1 is awesome. All right, so uh, Apple, thank you very much. Uh, they're catching up and they are dropping the picture element into the browser. So they've got source set for... Uh, Pixel density, so you do source set uh, your 2x, 1x, 3x, and it now will support the picture element as well, which is very, very, very cool. Um, and I think also the uh, they're also documenting and putting in, there was a little issue for a while with iPhone 6, whereas if, I think it was if something was set to uh, overflow hidden or... Uh, I can't remember the exact quirk, but uh, now you can include, and it's documented, um, as a meta tag, you go shrink to fit equals no, and it won't mess around with you. So you add that to your viewport declaration, but that's all um, now documented, so you can sort of look at look at that now, which is kind of cool. Um, and the other thing as well is that uh, the FT, so the Financial Times here in the UK, they created this little plugin called Fast Tap, no, Fast Click. And what it would do is it would remove that 300 millisecond delay that uh, mobile phones or iOS definitely placed upon clicks on websites. And this was like a big thing because if you kind of tried to do this hybrid website app thing, uh, it wouldn't feel as fast as a native site or a, a native app because there was this delay from you touching a button and it registering it as a click. And it did that because like what if the user was going to double tap? Like if they were going to double tap, they're going to try and zoom. So we can't treat the first tap as a click until we're sure we don't get a second tap, which would mean something else. All right, and so this uh, this fast tap, or sorry, this FT Labs fast click plugin allowed us to uh, just just get rid of that. So first click is that that's how I'm rolling. That's what I want. Just do it. Uh, and now, uh, i.e., uh, sorry. Um, uh, the iOS has uh, sort of disabled that, uh, at least for certain situations. So if you set uh, it to a device width or width equals device width and you're at your initial scale, um, then the single tap will work fine. If you set it to uh, use a scalable no, then uh, taps will be instant. Um, but you don't want to set it to use a scalable no because you want to allow users to have control over how zoomed or not zoomed you don't take that control away from the users um yeah so it's really cool and they're also introducing a couple more uh uh properties um in css as well uh what is it off the top of my head i can't actually remember i might see it as i go through my notes um but yeah they've introduced a couple more properties as well so if you have those properties applied to the element someone's touching um, and the and the other viewport things don't uh, remove that touch, then it will allow that touch to work fast as well. So that's very cool. Uh, Safari coming to the party. Yay, awesome Safari. Uh, so what else is happening? Uh, there was a really cool SVG 
uh, talk that I saw, uh, Sarah Drasna just dominated this SVG summit, online summit from Environments from Humans. It was awesome, just so, uh, showing some really cool, cool stuff um, and the responsive animations and the thought that went into it of uh, there were like three parts to this uh, machine and when you uh, reduced the the uh, browser width, or you reduce the viewport, um, this machine reconnected itself in a vertical way. So it still looked like the same machine. It was doing the same stuff. It was the same animation, but it was uh, stacked. And it was just that thought that went into, right, we're going to design something. It has to work across all these devices. Let's not have like this crappy, really small, long, uh, like horizontally stretched machine um, and compact it into a phone, let's stack it. And so let's design the machine in a way that it can be rearranged and still work. I thought that was really cool. Anyway, very, very cool talk um, from Sarah Drasner. There's a whole bunch on uh, the SVG Summit website. Um, you should definitely go and check that out. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, there was something in from Smashing Mag about the leaner responsive images with client hints. Client hints, we started talking about that back in 2014. That was like going to be the hip new thing. Um, and the idea behind that is that the client, your browser, will send information about itself to the server uh, so that the server doesn't have to guess stuff. And basically, uh, the, it would send like, uh, what's my DPI? Um, how wide is my browser? How wide is my viewport? Like, how wide is my device? How wide is my viewport on that device? Um, the DPI stuff. And it could also send things like, I'm running on this connection. Like, I'm running on a dogged connection. And what that allows the server to do, um, if you program it right, if it's got the smarts, is it can take those client hints and go, oh, you know what, you're on a tiny screen and your connection's really slow, or you're on a giant screen and your connection's really slow. I'm not going to send you down the high DPI. So think about this. So I'm on a retina or I'm on a crappy uh, feature phone that I'm uh, connected somehow to a cable modem. It's running super fast and I send off this request. Um, it's a super fast connection, but it's like a crappy phone. So the server will go, well, you can get a crappy picture back or a picture that will work as good as it can do on your crappy phone. Um, alternatively, I might be on my uh, like MacBook Retina, right? Super awesome, beautiful, crisp screen, but I'm uh, I'm tethering on uh, an iPhone which is on GPRS signal. Uh, it's got nothing. It's barely scraping through a couple of kilobytes. And so this client hint sends off is like, yeah, man, you can totally send a picture which is 2,000 pixels or super h uh super uh super density pixel uh, it's an awesome picture um but hold on a minute i'm running on fumes when it comes to my internet connection so rather than send back the gigantor image it sends the same crappy picture back that the uh the feature phone got because you know that will work and it will load quickly and it's not going to it's not going to depress me that I can't access all my content because this giant image is going to come down. So that's the idea behind Client Hints. Smashing Magazine uh, has this great article about it. Um, uh, Chrome and Opera are supporting it at the moment, but it's very much a work in progress. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, 
it's something to definitely look for in the future, especially if you're looking at progressively enhancing stuff, which is what we should always be looking to do when, when we're building sites. Uh, the final one that I'm going to talk about for this week, because there are just, oh, there's literally, well, there's only a couple more, but the, the main one that I want to speak about is the last one, um, which was an article from Vox. So it came from the Vox product blog. And it was an article about, uh, when I first read it, uh, it was like, does page performance matter for a new site? And I was like, oh, that's kind of clickbaity. I'll, I'll take your challenge and click it. Um, but when I read it, I was like, does page performance matter for a new site? I was like, what? Of course it matters for a new site. I don't care if it's new or old or like futuristic. It, performance matters. Um, but then when I actually realized, it was like, oh, no, it, it, he's referring to a news site. And then, and then I was like, yeah, but still, of course, performance matters. It matters always across everything. Um, it shouldn't even be uh, it shouldn't even be a title anymore. Um, but I read on. I was like, oh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I've, I've clickbaited my way in here. I'll keep going. But it ended up being really interesting. So uh, Vox, uh, they run a whole bunch of new, di different news sites and they're wonderful and they're beautiful designs and they really uh, like took on responsive and like they, they do some great stuff. Um, and they were looking at uh, the performance through this uh, monitoring tool and they wanted to see whether there was a correlation between the load time and the bounce rate. And I... Like you're probably thinking, of course there is. Like, this, why? Why would you even look at that? Why would you even like think? Oh, I wonder if I slow my site down, whether people will bounce from it and not worry about looking at it. Um, and for those of you uh, that are, are sort of sitting there going, "Bounce? What the hell is he talking about?" I see it in Google Analytics. I don't know what it means. It basically means uh, when someone goes onto your site and they leave without going anywhere else. They don't dwell on the page. They just bounce straight off it. They don't go and view anything else on the site. It's a they get there and they leave again. Now that can be okay sometimes because if they just come for one article or one item, um, an action, and then they bail again, then that's fine. You it doesn't matter so much. Um, but generally, bounce rates are bad. You want to keep people on your site. You want them to view more than just with the one page. So the correlation between the two, you, you want fast sites so you have low bounce rate. And so, <laughs> like, strangely enough, when they did the monitoring, um, it turned out that slower web page loads had higher bounce rates. But then the, the really interesting thing, which I never even thought of, was that when you when you first land on a page, it's the first time you're there, so you get all everything downloaded, right? Um, so CSS, fonts, all the images, um, everything, all the JavaScript, it all has to download. Now, if you go and you, if you don't like that page and you bounce, then you bounce, right? Um, and just say that page takes five seconds to load, you now have a bounce rate of a hundred percent on a page that takes five seconds to load. If I then go there again, and the page takes five seconds to load, but I really like the article and I wanna go and view another page, and I click the link, this time I've got everything downloaded already, right? Loads of stuff are in cache, 
Um, so when I request the next page, all of a sudden that page loads in a second. Now because I'm the same user and it's tracking me, I now have two page views which are an average, so two page views, the total page load time for those two page views is six seconds and the average page load for me is three seconds. All right, so by definition, if you don't bounce, you will have a faster overall page load time because the subsequent pages you visit are already cached. Therefore, it doesn't really matter. Well, it doesn't really add up. You're not measuring the same thing. It's being a bit harsh. So I never even thought of that. I thought that was really cool that someone... Like even though we just assume like, oh, of course a slow loading page is gonna have a higher bounce rate. Why, why do we even check that? But they did and they went and checked it and they looked. So what looked like uh, for every second increase in page load time was a one and a half percent increase in bounce rates. What it ended up being is about a 0.5 or 0.25 to a 0.5% increase in bounce rates. So there was still an increase but it wasn't as significant as what the data was showing, right? So I just thought it was a, it's a really, really great article because it really goes into, and like this article especially, it goes so deep. Um, it goes through the entire setup, how to set up, like what they do with Elasticsearch, um, the, the monitoring tools they were using, the algorithms they were using, it, it goes deep into performance testing and checking. If you are anywhere near interested at all about monitoring this sort of stuff, definitely look up the uh, Does Page Performance Matter for a new site for the Vox product blog. Some really great stuff. Um, and I had a bit of a conversation of all places, LinkedIn, which is weird, um, and, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Andy uh, chimed in, and uh, so Andy Davis, um, who works for a performance company, does a lot of talks uh, around the place. He lives in the UK, um, talks at like the the O'Reilly Performance. Um, oh, I'm so bad with my memory. A Velocity Conference. Uh, he speaks there as well, and he was saying that um, perhaps not the bounce rate you should be looking at, but what was the ad revenue like? So, does page load time affect ad revenue which is probably a bigger thing for new sites than bounces um, which I thought was a, another interesting look but turns out that they're actually doing a review on that as well so excited to see the results I know I am um, so that's about it look there's a whole bunch of other stuff um, there's a really cool functional flexbox um, seven day course that's out um, there's some new responsive breakpoints responsive image breakpoint tools um, David Bushell talks us through how to build a CSS framework right from scratch that he's done with a recent uh, recent client. Uh, who else? Brad Frost has been back at his book again. He's written another chapter. He's now nailed four chapters in his Atomic Design book. Uh, the Atomic Workflow is out. Uh, and Dan Mall has done a really, really cool uh, article as well. Um, I thought... I had that up in my headlines, um, but I haven't copied it in, so now's my chance to copy that in. Um, but he talks all about content and its importance in design as well. Um, 
yeah, Dan, Dan does some really good stuff. Uh, but that's all from me. Uh, the other thing that I'll mention as well before I head off and before uh, the frog in my throat, excuse me. Oh, it's really hard to do a podcast on your own when your throat gets sore because you have to like pause and have a drink. Uh, but the other thing I've been doing uh, is the uh, the responsive design notebooks. I've been so much fun. Uh, I've been working not with uh, HTML and CSS, which is what I'm used to, but instead getting into Photoshop, uh, Adobe InDesign, Adobe Illustrator, uh, trying to work out these these CMYK things and what a spot color is and how to turn something. Apparently, grayscale is different from having a gray CMYK color. Um, it's been a load of fun. It's been a really interesting learning experience talking with like production people uh, and on how to like produce something physical. Uh, so if you uh, are looking for a new set of notebooks, head over. Uh, you're obviously into responsive design, but head over to backpocket.co and check out the responsive design notebooks. A big thanks to uh, Brad Frost, to uh, John Allsop, and to Ethan Marcotte for providing some quotes for me for the back covers of those and for the support. Um, also, a massive thanks to all of the interviewees over the Christmas period. Helped me out loads, uh, took a whole bunch of work off me, uh, so I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys listening, guys and girls. Uh, I'm Australian, we just leave it with one. Uh, for you guys, thank you for leaving this podcast in your podcast catcher. Uh, it has been a long time. We will keep this a little more uh, a little more frequent. We'll get more guests on. We'll run through the things each week. If you want to hear something in particular, if you've done something cool at work or you're working on a project or you've released a tool, send it through, send it into the responsive design is site we have a contact form down the bottom send it through let me know so i can share it with everyone else and uh yeah let's build some cool stuff so until <coughs> until next week with a croaky voice uh i will see you then cheers all bye